Welcome to my podcast where I talk about all things related to money mindset, finance, business, and investing. My name is Royston Cumberbatch, a qualified accountant with over 30 years' experience in finance and business. Coming from a very humble background, I have continuously challenged the assumptions and the expectations of what I'm capable of achieving for myself and others. Welcome to the next episode of the Financial Intelligence Mindset Podcast. I think I should be calling it the Business Intelligence Podcast because we are speaking to different business owners from different backgrounds who've had varying journeys, you know, and it's really insightful. And I'm speaking with George Taylor today. He's from Hertfordshire, one of the places I really love, having lived there for a few years. And uh, George described himself as being forced into business. You know, he had no other opportunity but than to try business out. So I'll let George introduce himself. And George, in, in introducing yourself, just tell us about growing up. I mean, was business ever something that you learned about or were you interested in the business when you were growing up? Or was it only until you had no other option that you actually get into business? Well, firstly, Royston, thanks for the invitation to be on today. Um, also, thanks for the great intro. In, in answer to your question, I was born in a working class background. I was born in Bedfordshire, but we moved to Hertfordshire when I was probably about three and a half, four years old. No one in my family had ever been to university or set up any any kind of business at all. So it's kind of remarkable that that's the path I found myself on. Um, my first ever major passion was music. Sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> and I became obsessed with music at the age of, I'd say probably 12, 13 started learning guitar, found myself to be a natural songwriter. And that was kind of the path that I thought I was destined to be on. And again, no one in my family had been a musician. So that was, that was a first. So I was really the first person to kind of have, you know, creative ambition and to really think outside the box. Um, and then as time went by, um, I then eventually went on to university to study music. That was kind of my, my, my calling in life. At least I felt that way at the time. But it was only when I came out of university and I moved from Hertfordshire to London, which isn't isn't far as you know, that I started to look for work as a postgraduate, as you know, the, the, many other people do every year when they just finish their degree. And I was in this kind of, I guess you could say, I went through this traumatic experience where I suddenly realised how hard it was for me to get a job, especially in the music industry. And that was a very disheartening thing for me to go through. And unfortunately, during that time... It was a really difficult couple of years. I kind of bounced from job to job. I tried everything you could ever think of from sales to admin to uh, just everything. Just recruitment actually was one thing I tried. And then I eventually landed a job working for an online ticketing company, which had gone bust shortly after I left the company. <laughs> um, and that was when I started to kind of get an insight into events. But then what I realized was, well, hold me, there's a, there's a correlation here between events and music because if you're a live performer, what are you doing? You're playing at an event. It's entertainment, right? It's the entertainment business. So I started to get into events. And then then that was kind of where this whole thing started. So to kind of go back to those early days, we're talking to late 2012, early 2013. And what happened was because I was working on the sales side of the events industry, no one would give me a job working on the logistical side, you know, organizing these events. But I, I had been watching it from the periphery and I kind of started to get my head around how to do this. So what happened was eventually I thought to myself, if you guys aren't going to give me a chance, I'm going to make my own chance. I'm going to create my own job. And also combined with that, the frustration of 
not knowing any musicians or anything. So it all started with one Google search. I went up to Google. I typed Music Industry Networking Event London. Nothing came up. And that was my first light bulb moment. So I started this, this, this Music Industry Networking Event. The first one was uh, late 2013. And um, it, it, the, my first ever success story was I remember very clearly it was Halloween 2013 and I'd, I'd been to this event. It was a Friday night. I just put the, t- the uh, event on sale. I had the PayPal app on my phone and my phone was buzzing all night long. And I was talking to this girl and we having a drink together. And she's like, geez, you're really popular. I was, <laughs> I, I, I was like, this isn't people texting me. This is sales. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the adrenaline was just going through me. And that was when I was like, oh, what is this? You know, I had this kind of first moment. And that event went on to become the leading like major music industry networking event that I used to hold quarterly in London. We had every, everyone you can ever think of there. We had Florence and the Machine, major record labels, Live Nation promoters, agents, managers, session wow. players, the lot. And so that was really where this whole thing kind of started for me. But obviously at the time, my family were like, what are you doing? They didn't understand what I was doing. They didn't get it. And, <laughs> and, and they're like, can't you go and get a real job like normal people, like everyone else? And they didn't understand that. And it was only when yeah. I printed the bank statement off and, and kind of left it on the sofa and I was like look mum look at this and she looked at she's like what is this I was like this is this is sales I'm making money here real physical money that I can draw out of the bank to spend um and then when she eventually came to one of my events she actually cried because she I think she was wow, so wow. shocked and surprised and overwhelmed by what I had done that she was that was when the penny dropped for her so that was really where it started yeah for me it's a very touching story you know listening to you because um because most kids, you know, and I got two boys and, um, you know, yeah, one is 22, one is 16. The one is 22 is started, is a bit in, uh, going towards more than entrepreneurial journey. Um, but most kids don't ever see business as an option. And, if, and it's strange that you say that because the parents don't always think business is an option for them. I mean, I think things are changing now. I, I don't know what's your view. But I think traditionally, especially depending on where you grew up, and as, and as you describe it, your family never did business before. And, and I guess as much when you were at university, did you ever um, learn anything about business at university? No, not at all. This is the thing. I had never, ever even considered the idea, ever. I was, <laughs> tw- I was 25 when I set my first company. And the only reason I did that was because of desperation, because... I had gone through this string of jobs. I had I got to the point where I had I had been pushed into a corner financially, and I there was no other way out for me. It, it, yeah. it was it was a call for desperation, and the desperation and the fear and the the anxiety and the pain was actually what drove me to do this this thing, which thankfully became you know a successful event that I organised. But and I think that's the thing. Like what I've realised over the years, and obviously as time's gone by over the last few years, is that. Firstly, I think there's two kinds of business people, really. There are the people that are born with it in the blood from, yeah. from day one. You know, they're selling sweets at school at nine years old and they're, you know, they're doing hustles and they, they, they kind of destined to be that way from the moment they come out of the mother's womb, right? And then you get people like me that have not don't have that kind of situation but maybe something forces us into it and that could be anything that could be sick of your corporate career it could be sick of being poor it could be um wanting a better life work-life balance whatever and i was i fit into that second category now the good news is kind of going back to what you said is that these day and age, this day and age with things like the apprentice 
Dragon's Den, entrepreneurial success stories, you know, the mainstream media, what we're starting to find is we're starting to see that more people are now being aware yeah. of uh, this as a resource. As and a now career. Ev- as a career, yeah. Well, everyone, everyone now knows that you can be an Alan Sugar. You can be, you know, a Hackney Council State guy uh brought in a, in a in a situation of poverty and turn your life around everyone knows that's available to them whereas maybe 40 50 60 years ago the average person would never have even considered the idea so that's what's changed yeah that, i mean that makes sense a lot and i, I think um um I think it's a third category, uh, just I, just as you're describing it, you know, either, you know, like you started in suites at, at nine or 10, um, you know, you, you're forced into it. I think there's also people who, a few people, a few people who are just, maybe their parents did business, you know, um, but that, that's very much a minority. And they were born into a parents who had a business and, you know, they, they had to, and so some of those people, don't even tend to like doing the business either sometimes, you know. So let's go back to your first business, right? So now you stumbled on this. And one question I want to ask you, right, because a lot of people, and it happened for me as well, say that um, you only really give your business your all when you have no option B, right? When, when you think it's like do or die, I mean, I mean, as Tony Robbins called it, you burn the boat. Um, Tony Robbins said, if you want to take the island, burn the boat. And I remember listening to a guy, actually, his name is Stephen Green. He's been in some circles, which I'm, uh, I was in for a while, public speaking academy and stuff. And he says, no option B, no option B. So let me ask you about taking back to your first business. So you started a business. If you thought that there was an option B, that there was not, not that you tried to do a job and you didn't get through and now you, you're doing the business. If you thought, ah, I'm just doing this as an option B. Do you think that you'd have done it with the same conviction and think you might have the same success? Um, back then, no. Now, yes. I think it's different now, and I'll explain. So back then, there was no other option for me. It was right. sink or swim. It was sink or swim. And because I had never built the habit of being a business owner, like it, it wasn't drilled into my unconscious. It wasn't drilled into my neural pathways in my brain. I didn't know what the word motivation meant. So for me... It, it, it was pure fear and anxiety drove me. However, um, as time's gone by, I've learned to, how can I explain this? I, I, I've become motivated through doing, through doing it over a long period of time. So now I, the fear doesn't drive me as much as it used to. Now I, I'm motivated from a different place completely, which is passion and drive because I, I, I want to do great things. That's the thing. Um, so I think that for a lot of people, absolutely like if the bridge has been burnt and there's no other alternative for them they can definitely get a kind of organic motivation that's born out of some type of chaos or trauma or whatever it is but then there are also other people that are you know what i'm sick of this job or i'm sick of having no money or i'm sick of this and that creates a different kind of uh disconnect with where they are in their life and where they feel they should be and therefore that can also create a type of motivation but one thing i will definitely say is that I'm just considering myself lucky because I know many people that have been through what I've been through that have turned to drugs, suicides, uh, you know, crime, yeah. uh, have given up. And, you know, why Why me? Like I've asked myself a question before, I said, why me? And the funny thing is, I was born into a criminal family. You know, my, um, not many people know this, it's the first time I've ever said this on a, any no, podcast. That's all right, but, man. But my, my, I come from a Hungarian family on my father's side and they, yeah. they were essentially a mini mafia family and an organized crime family right so i so for, for the first four years of my life i witnessed 
break-ins you know they, they they were drug dealers they owned brothels they they did organized robberies right so surely if i've been exposed to this kind of life and i've seen that as an option why have i not gone gone and done that and i've asked that question and i just consider it pure pot luck I, it's like winning the lottery i'm just the one that had the winning six numbers that's all i am yeah it's amazing you say that, right? And um, and this is called a financial intelligence mindset. And I think I was explaining to you before we had this uh, recording today that financial intelligence mindset is a branch of business intelligence, right? So, I mean, I, financial intelligence comes under business intelligence. When you think about business intelligence, or when you think about intelligence as a whole, we as a people have something called emotional intelligence. It's a bit different to business intelligence, but emotional intelligence where you can actually feel and think and you know and 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 make decisions not just based on what you see and what you know but sometimes based on logic right so would you say that your mindset though was a big factor in your early success are you having that mindset of i'm going to do it and it's going to work how much of a role did that play having a strong mindset well actually maybe that's why i had that mindset maybe the reason i had that mindset is because i did get exposed to crime i did get exposed to that type of lifestyle and i think maybe in a lot of ways i was different to other children my age because i'd seen more than they were ever going to see and i think that kind of grew me up you know it, it, it built a, a an emotional maturity within me at quite a young age that i and i also became quite street savvy as well you know i knew i could see the warning signs quicker than anyone else could in, in my age group right so that's definitely important but the thing is how do you create that I mean I mean the thing is, is it's a double-edged sword one half of me says hey it's a good thing I went through these things because it's made me the person I am and the other part of me says actually it's unfortunate that I was as a child was exposed to these things so what what path do we go and also do we then say hey let's get every child in, in the world and, and run them through these traumatic experiences so they can become as you know as emotionally intelligent and i think what it comes down to is i think it comes down to two things really number one is education um and also secondly having making the decision so for decision, instance decision choice it, choice yeah yeah to kind of extend onto that like if you're this if you're this person if you are this person where your life isn't going to plan. If things aren't working out for you, no matter what you do, you can't seem to break through. I think there has to be something within you that says, right, I'm now going to start educating myself and I'm going to make a decision within myself to go and learn things that I don't know about, improve myself to them so I can go and become that person. Now, the thing is, again, I'll go back to what I said uh where where do you draw the line some of those people are gonna are gonna are gonna turn to drugs they're gonna turn to crime they're gonna turn to suicide um where at what part in your brain is it that says i'm not gonna be that guy so it's a really difficult thing it's very hard how do you install that in people like it, it's amazing. like the age the, the age old question isn't it it's the age old question yeah, amazing i think and, and you say decision and i think it starts with thought you're thinking because there's a book i don't know if you ever read it um it's as a man as a man think it i think it's by is it richard allen or james allen it's only like 70 pages as a man think it is a really great book because your thoughts are really what drives your uh emotion your emotion drives your decisions you see and then your decision can drive your outcomes right and depending on the outcome you have it can reinforce your thoughts so I think it's really important that maybe you just, that's what you thought. So really, really, really great introduction and really, really great backstory. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who've had such a, 
a traumatic story like yours, but who came out to be really successful. Well, I want to go back to the business and the business side. Um, your first business, like I, tell, I believe that you, you, you've done several businesses after. What are some of the lessons you learned from your first business? That if you had to go back and start it today, you would probably do it different. Well, the difference between me then and me now, before I can answer the question, is that I used to work pure instinct and nothing else. <laughs> I had There was no logic intervention. It, it was just I had this impulsive thought of doing something and I would do it. And sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, right? <laughs> now I may be too logical. I may, I, may be, I may be my emotions have removed from the equation so much that now I'm very logical. And I sometimes ask myself a question, is that a good thing? Because I think you always need a bit of gut instinct. But to go back to that, it's only through doing almost doing it impulsively that I learned the logic thinking process so my first ever lesson I, and my first business lesson I ever learned ever was if you're going to organize an event don't pay money on a, on a venue deposit if you if you haven't sold the tickets already that was lesson one because I organized I must have organized five or six events between May and October 2013 where the venue said look it's a 200 pound deposit we're going to give you a thousand pound bar spend I would just give them the money. I would just, I would just, yeah, sure. Let me sign a contract. My first ever event I ever did, we sold 30 tickets at, I don't know, 20, 30 pound each. I can't remember now. And the bar spend was a thousand pound for 30 people. Now I didn't calculate how much each of the 30 people would need to spend for me to, for me to uh, be in a profit. Right. So it ended up being that they spent about 300 pound out of the thousand. And I'm not joking. I just lost my job. I had, I can't remember how much money in the bank. And I, I walked away with an invoice of £700 and I had to transfer it out of my last paycheck to cover the cost of this. It killed me. And, and so that was lesson number one. Lesson number two was I didn't know what the word marketing meant. I, like if, if you said to me marketing, I couldn't have even told you what the word meant because I, I was that naive. So I got lucky. What happened with me is I was on this music industry website. I used to pay for a premium service. I used to pay for, on a monthly direct debit. And I went on there and I would copy and paste in this email to all the people in this community, right? And then suddenly my phone starts ringing and I'm thinking, who's this? I was phoning. He's like, hi, is that George? I was like, yeah, hi. He's like, this is Matt from um, UK Music Jobs. And I was like, hi, you know, what can I do you for? I was kind of like, why is this guy ringing me for? He said, look, he said, we've got a bit of a problem. I was like, okay. He said, uh, you're, you've just you've just been detected in our spam filters. Like <laughs> our systems have flagged you up. And I was like, I suddenly felt bad. I was like, oh no. He said, listen, he said, I'm going to, um, here's what I'm going to say to you. If you don't start, if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to buy you from using the service. And I went, I'm sorry. I apologize. Won't do it again. Anyway. And then he said, the next thing he said to me, changed my life forever. Changed my life forever. He said to me, okay, what you're doing actually looks great. We've been looking to do an event for our members for a long time. We haven't got the resources. We haven't got the budget. How about we promote this for you? And then we, you, you give us a commission cut of ticket sales. Um, we have the biggest music industry database in the country, 100,000 plus people. Um, how does that sound? Uh, so I was like, that's great. Thank you. But, but like I said, the next day, my phone started ringing on the Friday night on the Halloween my pay PayPal's buzzing up, ah. and I, I and that was when the penny job went. Ah, marketing, right? Promotion, marketing. promotion. Yeah, yeah, man, it's amazing. I, it. I love it. I mean, your story is so awesome. It's so incredibly awesome, man. And you know, a lot of people still think that marketing is an expense. You know, and I, I have a group coaching program where I teach people 
a lot about marketing. I spend a lot of money on marketing. I mean, learning marketing in the UK, um, digital marketing, people like Einstein marketing. I've learned from Russell Branson. Um, I've learned from Dean Grazio. I mean, I've learned from a lot of people. I spent, I spent thousands. And marketing um, in terms of business is, in my view, and I'll take your view on it, is really an investment. Because when you spend money on marketing, you expect to get a certain return on it. So your two biggest lessons you said was marketing is important. And then you said, obviously, you have to know your numbers, it sounds like. You, you have to know your numbers. Am I correct? In terms of that, uh, when you didn't actually, you, you were handing over money, but didn't have any pre-ticket sales, you know what I mean? So thinking on, so let's move on. Let's move on to the business journey. So that was your first business. So how did your first business end up is it still going i mean what happened to it well to quickly answer your question about the marketing thing before i go on to that um yep. i i half agree with you and half don't agree with you and I, that's I'll all right that, go ahead go ahead so marketing in my opinion is an expense um and here's why here's why it's an expense because the biggest one of the, another big business lesson i've learned over the years is that when you start doing your forecast, you start working out your, you know, your cash flow forecast, your sales revenues, what your margin is, what your net profit is going to be, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the biggest problems that that businesses have, and in a lot of ways, it's down to just luck in some ways, is that it. Let's say you buy. I don't. I'm going to give an example. Let's say this phone. I'm I'm selling phones, right? I'm going to buy. I can buy these in at um a hundred pounds. Let's say fifty pounds. And I can sell them for a hundred. So obviously, in that respect, I'm making a kind of fifty percent markup on my items. Yeah, the, yeah. the thing you don't factor in is that also what are the costs associated to that? So let's say it's the shipping. Let's say it's the um, the you know the, the delivery of, of the goods to someone else's house. Let's say it's a fee on the e-commerce website or a, or a fee on on a PayPal fee, right? So what you start doing is you then start to deduct your costs against the remaining margin now on paper that can look great because then if you then say well look we're going to do a thousand phones in our first month two thousand in the second month this is going to equate to x revenue um the the problem is right is that that's only going to get you so far because without marketing you're, you're only going to be able to sell a thousand what happens if you want to up to ten thousand what happens if you're not up to hundred thousand the only way you can do it is marketing right now here's the problem here's the problem you don't know what your cost per acquisition is going to be you can say, oh, look, I think it's going to be £5 per, per lead or, I don't know, £10 per lead. That's estimate, right? Or I think that Facebook might be cheaper than Google. You don't know. So what? Here's, here's what my advice is to you. Make sure that you leave enough allocated margin remaining over on top of the goods so that when, so you, you, you save yourself a, uh, a benchmark where you can hand over X percentage of that on costs and still be left with enough to cover your, you know, your staff costs, your delivery costs, whatever, right? That's what I say with that. Now, that's now if if this goes wrong, this is this is where sometimes business found, but I, I've made this mistake. Um, sometimes you you then find out your cost per lead is twice or three times what you anticipated to be, and then also your overheads are higher than you thought they were going to be, and your sales aren't as high as you thought they were going to be. Then you so what ends up happening is you're not having a zero net profit business or a, or a really low net profit. So here's what I'd say: aim to have a ten to fifteen percent net profit post corporation tax. Aim to have a ten percent marketing budget because most companies spend ten to fifteen percent. The um, Dr. Paul Paul said they said said they spend twenty percent. So that's really high, right? They can probably afford it because they've got such a good markup on their on their item. So that's that. Moving on to my next, what happened to that business? I ran it for five years. Um, during of which I was actually homeless one, once and ended up on the streets. And I ran my business from the streets, from wow. people's from people's uh, settees, 
Wow. And I also worked at Starbucks part-time and then my boss fired me and I ended up having to move to Leeds because I had nowhere to stay anymore. Um, having to temporarily stop the company for six months, got myself a job, paid some debts, so then I started up again. Now, when I started up again, I was like, right, I've learned all these lessons now. I've worked out what how what works, what doesn't work. I'm going to rebrand this business, relaunch it with a whole new everything, financial model, the whole lot. And that time, I ran it for three years successfully. Um, I mean, we were getting over a million um, visitors a year to the website. We were selling... I would say tens of thousands of tickets um, and also you work with some of the biggest companies in the space like House of Fraser, ASOS, Sony Music, Universal Music. I could, I could go, kind of go all day about it. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, we did go bust late 2017, which was a very traumatic thing to go through because it was like my baby. And, and I'd been through hell. I'd been through absolute hell to get this thing off the ground. I'd slept on the streets multiple times. And then I had to give my baby up, and it was, it was a devastating day. Devastating day. Sorry, so, sorry to hear that, man. Um, you know, you know. Um, I want to say to you, George, like speaking to you is like so. You're so you're such an engaging person, but you know, you've been through such a journey. You know, um, I don't think if I've ever done if I didn't do podcasts, I don't think I will ever meet someone like you. You know, your story is so real. It's so like uh, you you know speaking. I guess speaking it now relives it for you. But I think it's a, it's a typical thing you might read about. People who tried and failed and tried and failed. But when you speak to someone like yourself and you explain it with such passion and conviction, obviously, of course, you are over it now. So I want to say a massive thank you for coming on and being so real. And um, I also want to applaud you, man. You know, speaking to you now is like, wow. It's like, I'm listening to you. Like, I actually teach business and finance, right? And I want to go back and say something, just something like that. Of course, marketing is an expense. We know marketing is an expense. Marketing comes off of your margin, yes, to give you your net profit. It is an expense in the PL. But the reason why I, because I try to think of things um, left field sometimes, people who are, are trying to grow their business, I say, of course, an expense. But I say to them, see it as an investment because if you don't market you will not grow your business almost you know so when you market you have to get a return on it but i, I hear your point it's difficult to know the metrics it's difficult to know how much return but where, where i actually applaud you is like you talking about you know um you know gross profit margin and markup and 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 cost per lead and cost per acquisition and net profit like you know all the metrics right and for anyone who is listening these are all metrics on the PL or your income statement because when you're running a business, a gross profit is basically your sales, less your cost of sales. How much did it cost you to have that sales? So go back to the bar or the event that you were having, you know, you, you'll get sales from the event, but there's a cost to having the event. But then after you get a profit, a net profit, then there is still you know, marketing, there is wages, there is stuff. So well done on you on um, on mastering that. I'm sorry the business had failed. Um, but one of the things I really believe in my heart is that failure fuels success. So let me hear your view on after you failed, what did you do? Well, what, what did you do next? Well, <laughs> um, good question, actually. Uh, good question, boys. And so I knew this was going to happen. So I started to plan my next business while I was running the last one. I phased, yeah. I phased one out and phased one in. And then that second business also never came off the ground and failed. Wow. So it was a devastating time. You know, I, I ended up going to the food bank in the end because I, I, I was that wow. broke. I mean, I'd lost everything. I mean, how old was I? 20, 
I can't even tell you, 27, 28, something like that. I'm, I'm not even sure. Um, I'd lost everything. So I, I had a double failure, lost everything, went right back to kind of where I was when I started the first company. Felt like I'd just gone in this loop back to where I started and it was just a, a horrible time. It was an absolutely horrible time. But um, the thing is, is to tell you the truth, again, going back to what you said, on, on, uh, said earlier on, is that it was that pain and suffering and that that fear of being back where I was again and, and fearing being homeless once again, when I'd managed to get myself out of situation, that was what drove me to, to make sure I didn't end up back in the place again. Th- that was the thing that saved me because I, I made myself a commitment of, after getting off the streets. I said, I'm never going to be in this situation ever again. And to tell you, I'm glad to say that I've achieved that, right? But it, I, I got very close. So here's what I did. I The fear and the pain just drove me to do something so in the end here's what i did i went and got myself a really high paying job in london um for a few months raise some cash pay some debts off move use the money to fund my move from leeds back to the city again uh did that for a while and then what happened was my friend um jamie called me up and said to me look george i'm doing this furniture business um can you do you want to get involved with me I, I said no about seven times. Every time he, every time he asked me, I said no, 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 no. And eventually, he finally convinced me to take a look at it. So then, I did, you know, I did the numbers. I looked at the margins, all the, you know, all that kind of stuff. I did all this sort of usual one-on-one stuff you do before you get involved in the company. And then, then I kind of came to the realization that actually this is a fantastic opportunity. Um, so I then got involved in, and we launched in January 2019, and we made five figures in our first well turnover we turned over five figures in our first month of launching wow and that was that was well when done. i was like whoa okay we're onto something here towards the end we were sitting on a on three pound commercial contracts furniture contracts for yeah. like new build flats new build flats and unfortunately um what happened was two things happened one we went with a digital marketing agency that were pissing our money up the wall and not getting an ROI. So then we were burning the yep. cash we'd saved up. Yeah. That was, again, this is why I come back to marketing can be an expensive. Yes, one, of right? course. A big expense, and, of course. If it's done badly, if it's done badly. Exactly. And then what happened was he, unfortunately, decided that he didn't want to continue doing the company anymore because he had had a go. He wasn't really feeling the whole kind of run your own company, the highs and the lows. He got offered a job working back at his old company again, and he's been there ever since. Um now I didn't oh, have a technical. No. Oh no, I know. I didn't have a technical brain. I, I don't know CAD drawings. I'm I'm hopeless at DIY. So we had we had to dissolve the company, and we near enough turned over over six. It was six figures in our first year, and um, business lesson number two: never get involved in a company, whether it's you're starting it yourself or a or a friend. That you if thing if shit hits the fan, you don't have the skills to run it on your own. Lesson number two. So, for example, yeah, he said I'll, to me... I'll probably lesson number five by now, but I understand. I mean, yeah, another, yeah. Another big lesson, yeah. If you said to me, hey, George, I'm starting an aviation business, you want to come and join me? No, sorry, I'm not interested. I don't care how much money it's going to make. I don't care how well you're doing. I'm not getting involved because I can't... If you die in, in, a, in a car crash tomorrow and I'm then the CEO, what happens? We're going to go bust anyway. So what's the point? So <laughs> always only ever get involved in a company that you know that you could run it if shit hits the fan. Yeah. Or, or potentially, I mean, I hear you and I agree with you, or potentially you can hire people who know more than you know. For example, think, let's think of Richard Branson, right? Um, I mean, he's, he, he runs an aviation company, right? 
but he started selling magazines at university. If you understand what I'm saying, I mean, he owns a bank. He he he's going to space. I don't know if Richard Branson can can fly a plane. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he can. If you understand what I'm saying, but I'm saying you alternatively speaking is that you have to be able to sort be so risk averse that you say, you know what happened? I'll take the risk and I'll hire someone who knows more than I do to run the business, you know? So that's one flip side. But I also hear your gut feel as well that says, you know, if I don't know the business, I'm not going to get involved. And that's and that, and that is a good approach as well. So the furniture business must have been number, is it number four or number, number three? three? Number, number three. three. Number three. Yeah. Number so, three. so he's gone back to his job and you decide to do what? Well, there's two parts to the story. So, story, so firstly, I, was, I had realized that I had this art for taking people's business ideas and making them successful because yeah. he, he, he was kind of doing this whole you know, fitting wardrobes and making a few quid, whereas I'd, I'd helped him to ramp up to, you know, six figures in the first year. So I thought, well, what uh, what else can I do? So I, I then went on to co-founders lab and found, I think it's called Founders Nation or something. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I started to look at other people's companies and thought, could I find some genius idea that someone else come up with that I know I'm coming along and, and help get off the ground? And I end up identifying two businesses. I won't say the names, but one of them was a of a course, drinks, of course, yeah, yeah. One of them I, was a drinks a drinks company that was essentially trying to rival um, innocent drinks. So they yeah, they yeah. come up they they come up with a, a new type of smoothie. And I went I met up with the guy. He gave me the whole range, and I drank all six bottles. And I'm telling you, it was the best smoothie I've ever had in my whole life. And and after drinking it, I didn't want to buy innocent drinks ever again because it was that good. It was yeah. he it was that good, right? Unfortunately, when we started getting down to numbers, he'd made all the mistakes I'd made. <laughs> and, I, and I was trying to help him out. So he was selling it into the retail at like a 5p profit. I was like, what's the point? No, it's point, pointless. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, 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 it's yeah. so, it's so, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't distract you because you're on a great flow. Keep going on. So I said, well, look, you need to start doing D to C because how are you going to make any money? And, and it, this guy had sold properties to, to, to fund it. He'd like, he'd like taken 100 grand cash out of, properties that he had previously rented out and sold they essentially put this money down the drain i mean he might as well have got the, the hundred thousand in the, in, the, in a in a briefcase dropped it into the river that's what he'd done right um, and i was like look mate you need to start d to c you need to you need to up the price because it's a premium product he was charging like what was it 250 for it when innocent drinks charges something like 325 and he was way better than theirs and he wanted to sell it into you know the um the, the pret and and the kind of more premium stuff i said you need to be getting this in at like 375 and making yourself at least a pound a pound you know uh markup on this I said the reason that retailers are buying this off you is because they're, they're, they're loose changing you. They and, can buy in it. They're making all the money. Yeah, so in the end, I walked away. The guy wouldn't listen to a word I said. He, he was like, now I know what I'm doing. I said, you don't know what you're doing. I'm, I'm going to leave. And then I looked into a company, a, 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 an Asian gentleman. I think he's from Korea or something. I can't remember. Yeah, can't remember yeah, yeah, yeah. He had invented this incredible manufacturing device that was like a tracking device. And genuinely, the guy was a genius. The guy was an absolute genius. But then, but we just spent weeks trying to get the forecast down, working out what the margins were going to be, you know, and I just could never get there. So in the end, I just said, look, again, same thing. I said, look, mate, you, you, you're a genius. You're definitely a genius. Like, what you come up with is incredible. I said, but you're not going to make any money out of this. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You haven't listened to a word I've said. I walked away. And then I then got depressed. Because at this point, I was like, I've had two business go bust. One be, be successful. Um, made all this money. He's walked away. Now gone to these two people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm 30 years old, 29 years old, whatever. What am I supposed to do? And, and I didn't let backs go on again. It was just devastating. I, I got really oppressed for quite a while. Um, 
I just felt I ended up falling into a place where I was just wallowing in my own self-pity. And then eventually I, I found the strength for me to once rise up once again, as, as, as always, and go, right, are you going to sit here and get fat or are you going to do something about this? And that was when the idea for my current company, Gramercy, came around, which is what I'm now doing and doing ever since. Um, that, wow, and, wow. And, I, and I'm still doing it over a year later. Um, that was where the idea came from. So, yeah. Man, your story is amazing. It's an amazing story, serious. And um, you know, obviously, I think this is seven times. You know, it's, it's good to fail, or uh, most successful people have has failed seven times. I mean, obviously, this podcast is not about me; it's about you. But if anyone is listening and they go back to my podcast number one, how I became a financial expert, I actually failed. By the time I was twenty-two, I failed like three times severely. I mean, I even got deported from Canada back in my early 20s, you know what I mean? So then obviously I ended up having massive success. So I think failure, I think failure does feel success. Um, I think you hopefully you learned a lot of lessons from those failures. And I know I spoke to you earlier in the week and you said that you obviously don't like coaching, but you, but you don't mind doing the podcast. I would say if you don't coach, maybe you can mentor. Maybe you can mentor someone, mentor young business. Maybe not right now, but I think it's something that you, you, you'll be good at. And the reason why I say that, um, there's a few things that you mentioned, man, which was like, wow, you know, you're someone that people can learn a lot from. And mostly you said that you, you, you also felt that you can help people who have businesses who are struggling to grow. Uh, I think a lot of people would like that help, especially from someone who have been successful eventually. So talk to us about business number four. What is your business? Um, how is it doing? Uh, and why do you think that this business is successful now? I mean, what are some of the factors that make it successful? Um, I'm glad we got to this stage in my life. <laughs> so, yeah. We're all the pains in the past now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so Gramercy was initially supposed to be a social go, media go Mercy, Is it Gramercy? Sorry, I'll, I'll spell it out to you. It's G-R-A-M, so that's Gram, G-R-A-M, and then E-R-S-I. Gramercy. G-R-A-M and, and an E-R-S-I. So that's S for sugar. E-R-S-I. Gramercy. Okay. Gramercy. Gramercy. Gramercy, yes. Yeah. So Gramercy. We've, got, we, we've got dot com and we've got TV. We've got Gramercy TV and Gramercy.com. I love it. Um, love so it. Gramercy TV is our YouTube channel. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that. And then Gramercy.com is our actual tech platform. Take your time. So man. So this was initially supposed to be a social media platform. Um, unfortunately, uh, here you go, another failure. <laughs> <Not one. laughs> um, we, we started to build the tech and then um, Shopify and Facebook came along and rolled out the exact same thing that we were intending to do because we were looking to go up against Facebook at some point. So then we had to pivot. It took us three months to pivot. And in the end, I finally decided to go with the market was already in, which is brands, startup brands. Um, and launched the the first ever and the still today the only ever digital publication that specializes solely in retail physical product startups. So, for example, we won't talk about Uber. We won't talk mm. about um, online marketplaces that stock other people's products. We'll talk about companies are actually making the thing. Is their is their product? They you know they've designed this this thing. They're selling it. Um, you can buy it on their website. Sometimes it's stocked in retail. And we're dealing with these small artists and retail companies. And the reason why, why I'm doing that is because TechCrunch is massive. But TechCrunch only deals with tech, tech startups. So it deals with, you know, dating apps, marketplaces, yeah, yeah. Um, B2B, whatever it is, right? AI, that type of stuff. And now the thing is, COVID has had a really interesting impact on, on the tech space. 
and also the entrepreneurial space as a whole. And I'll explain how. So what we're starting to see now is once upon a time, there was a saying, oh, is there an app for that? Yeah. And there was. If you want to go online and get laid, there's an app for it. If you want to go online and meet your future wife, there's an app for it. You want to go online and buy, I don't know, homeware and crockery, there's an app for it, right? Now, the thing is, whilst this has been happening, global warming's on the rights, yeah? And th- these apps can't solve the amount of plastic that's being thrown into the ocean, yeah. chemicals inside um, skincare products, chemicals inside physical uh, phys- food products. The only people that can solve that are the food brands, the fashion brands, the beauty brands, and so on and so forth, right? Now, because of COVID, we've seen a, a fundamental shift between the way that people um, engage in consumerism and the, the, the shift is even more online. But they're not buying from the John Lewis's anymore. They're buying from these artists and brands. Yeah. Now, here's the, now, here's the question. How are you supposed to know about the artists and brand if no one is, is housing all these COVID brands, all these vegan brands, uh, COVID success stories, eco-friendly success stories into a simple, easy to use platform where you can find those brands. That's what we're doing. That's our goal. Um, so we're giving a platform to it. these people. That's what we're doing. Man, it's, it's, you know, it's really great. Uh, it's really great what, what you've done, you know, your journey coming from, um, you know, from, uh, you know, events, you know, to, you know, uh, furniture business to like, you know, coming to, to be actually, you know, almost like you could say a dot-com business right now, you know what I mean? Um, a digital platform, right? Kind of a software business, but you're actually promoting product. Um, and I wanted to pick you up on this. Um, I, I, I know you use the word failure quite a bit. I don't think the word is failure. I think it's more like outcomes, you know, like lessons learned, you know? Um, you know, there is no more kind of, of, of learning this, this, those lessons anymore. Now you're kind of like having more better outcomes. You know what I mean? Um, but I think because to me, um, you only truly fail when you stop trying, you know? Um, and, and actually, and I was speaking to someone about this yesterday. Um, um, I'm, 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 injured. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a director. At, I was talking to one of the guys and he was saying, you never give up, you know? And I think what made you who you are today it's because you never give up. You know, you always thought, nah, I can't, I, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So and to the, me... The, wh- the reason why that is, Royston, sorry, sorry to... No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's because I, I, I have nothing to give up to. I know it sounds crazy, but, you, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not. The thing is, I, you know, I have wealthy friends. I don't judge people for their, their level of wealth or their place in society. I treat everyone equally, whether they're on the streets or whether they're been there, whatever, I treat people the same, right? But the bottom line is there are some people out there um, who, for example, if they do fail, they 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 have resources available to them. You know, maybe they can get some some money off their mum. Maybe they know an investor. Maybe they know this. Maybe they know that. Maybe whatever it is, you're like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spell it out. But um, I, I've heard people say things like, "Oh, my mum would never let me be in that situation." Now, the thing is, I don't have that to fall back to. To me, if I fail, what do I have? Like, uh, I don't I I don't have. A wealthy family i don't have other resources i can tap into and i honestly think that that the, that's what makes me keep going because i don't have anything to fail to and so that that's a really important thing there and again it comes back to that that motivation desperation type scenario right um if you was it what did you say burn the boat was it yeah 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 what tony robbins said if you want to take the island so say like you were i don't know christopher columbus or something like that and you rocked up on a on um, on Jamaica, you know, let's just say you guys, oh, this is Jamaica, it's beautiful, it's waterfalls, there is this. If you want to take the island, you want to capture the island, you got to destroy the boat. There is no going back. Go ahead. Well, well, my my analogy of that would be this: someone has dropped a bomb on the boat, not me, <laughs> someone else. 
Yeah. I am now in deep in the water and there's yeah. sharks out and there's sharks out there and jellyfish. <laughs> the island's the island's quite far out still and, and and but thankfully I'm a pretty good swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> That's the analogy I use. I understand because you have actually been in situations before. You believe in yourself, you believe that you can swim to the shore. And and that's the only direction that you are heading to the show. Unquestionably, and and even if I don't, uh, voice and even, this is the thing, you know. Even if I I get to the shore and a big uh, I don't know um, tornado comes along and wipes you back out to the back back out to the deep end again, and the sharks start trying to chip away at my, my toes. Yeah, I'm gonna find a way. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, of course. Regardless, I'm gonna just go. I'm, just, I'm gonna get there. Uh, who knows? Who knows? You, 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 you might try and devour the shark because you've devoured sharks before. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I love it. So, so gram, so gram, Gramercy, right? So Gramercy, talk to us about like who is your typical customer? Someone is listening to this. They've heard your story. They want to get in contact with you. Who is who is the typical kind of customer or person who you would want to get in contact with you? Well, we, we've we've got a, a split audience. You've got a B two B and a B two C audience. So the B two B audience is is the brands, right? Now, in that the typical customer within that area is someone that has lost their job during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've never started their own company before, but they've always had been passionate about X, whatever X is. COVID, they've been on furlough and COVID's given the opportunity to finally do the thing they want to do. And, and in a lot of cases, it's it's everything from the wacky to the the, the normal. I mean, like to, to give you one example, um, we've, you know, we've, we did a story recently on a, on a guy that used COVID to, to launch a, a penis cactus company. I mean, penis, penis cactus? Yeah, yeah. What is, what is that? To grow penis-shaped cactuses, right? Ah. So, so I, I, I would say he's a typical customer, but he's been always been passionate about agriculture, always been passionate about plants. He's got a bit of a sense of humour, and, and during COVID, he's like, "Hey, I've got this free time in my hands. I, I've always I want to do something that's going to make people feel, you know, laugh, make people feel good at the goods to buy this kind of novelty item." And you know, that's kind of I'd say the average person we deal with. But then on the consumer side of the things, uh, we're talking about I would say anyone from the age of kind of twenty-one to thirty-five that is interested in supporting artisan supporting veganism supporting uh, eco-friendly and um, doesn't want to go to the man or big brother whatever you want to use whatever term you use and they want to buy stuff independently that's cool that's built for them you know it, it's it meets their specific often complex requirements that's why yeah. they use us yeah yeah i understand so so are you vegan by the way just sort of interest are you vegan no no i'm not i'm, I'm not okay, vegan, okay. but but 90 percent of the brands we write about are vegan so i fully support it Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, vegan is good. Yeah, I mean, I actually had to launch a business in the UK, a vegan business called Liberty Kitchen. You know, as as, as a, um, yeah, it's really, 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 really great brand. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um. So now, so so so, Grand Mercy. So you on the um, you got your own website? Yes. Yeah, so we launched the MVP just over a year ago. It's a phase one. Uh, stealth mode mvp mm-hmm. so it's a very simple stripped back platform where we're rolling out phase two is launching in january next year which we're currently building at the moment um the goal is because we're pre-revenue stage right now we we want to just build the community of build course, the, yeah. the seo build the presence stage two is you roll out this large platform uh, we roll out early revenue streams um and then there's also like a phase three four and five in, to follow in the following two to a couple of years uh, the key is to generate some early revenues, kind of grow that organically and then try and raise some funding, whether that's a seed seed funding uh, through an accelerator program or for a kind of series A type type round, you know, seven figure kind of round. Um, and our goal, our mission. So we have we have an overarching long term mission, which is 
to change the way that people uh, discover the latest products and innovations. That's uh, our mission. I like it. It's globally, a, globally. It's a great mission, man. It's a great mission. So uh, where can people find you? Where can, where can you people can find, find you? You can find us on gramercy.com. So to spell that, that's G-R-A-M-E-R-S-I, S for sugar, dot com. Uh, we're on YouTube, Gramercy TV, one word. And we're on social media at, at We Are Gramercy on Twitter and um, and Instagram. On Facebook, we're just Gramercy. LinkedIn, we're just Gramercy. So that's where you can find us. Excellent. Excellent. That's good, man. I'll definitely be looking you guys up. And obviously, I'm promoting you as well. So look, man, this, you you have, wow, you, this podcast is by far one of the best. I'm, I, I mean this. Um, but let me ask you just a few questions I ask everyone. And, and none of the questions I've asked you before have been standard questions. Um, what so thinking back about finance and and because you mentioned margins, financial modeling, pricing, markup, um, net profit of the tax margin. No, thinking back to all the business you run, and if you were advising any small business owner right now, how how important is it to really understand the numbers in their business and to make decisions based on understanding those numbers? I would say it's so important that don't even start one if you don't do it. That's how important it is. Like, I, I wouldn't start a company now knowing what I know. I would yeah. not start a company unless I drilled down into numbers and I understood those mechanics. I just wouldn't do it. And I advise every business owner the same thing. And also, one thing to add into that is market research is key. Because if you build your forecast and you, and you can only buy this goods in at this price, you need this much uh, margin on top, but then the customer's not willing to pay that price for what you're offering – you're not going to succeed. Simple as that. If you don't drop your price down, unless you can get the goods in for cheaper. So th- th- there's a whole different, you know, there's a layer there. There's number one, how how low can I get this, uh, either provide this service or buy this thing in or produce this thing, whatever this thing is, right? That's the first question. Secondly, how much margin can I get away with charging? And if the customer is not interested in paying that price, you haven't got a business, unless you can get your prices, your uh, cost of production down and then thirdly is what are your costs going to be against that you know and again you can have a business got like triple margin but if it's going to cost you extortions to, to service that to deliver that out or provide that product or service right guess what happens it starts to eat into your your margin so you have to get all the areas right you have to make sure that firstly the customer's willing to pay the price you're charging and get it on that secondly can you produce the service or product uh, for a price that's going to leave you with enough margin to then cover your costs. And then thirdly, what are your costs? And then last but not least, marketing costs against that. And even further than that is what is your end of year net profit post-corporation tax going to be? And the thing is, people don't factor that in. They'll go, we're on a 10% um, net, net profit margin. Well, have you, have you, have you widened your, your corporation tax yet? No. Okay, well, guess what? It ain't going to work. So getting that right before you even start. I mean, people are like refinancing their houses, taking bank loans out, approaching investors, running these Kickstarter campaigns, and then going on to then find that they're then wasting all that money that, they, that they've sourced themselves in front of people because their, their numbers don't stack up and then they go bust and they wonder why they're not making any money. So here's, please, please listen to what I say. Do not start a company unless you've done those things. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, man, 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 you, you, you really spot enough. For anyone listening now, we're just talking about the PNL. We're talking about you know knowing your price. Then obviously after the price is the cost of sales. Then obviously that gives you your gross profit margin, 
We lower the gross profit margins, obviously, all your operational expenses. Matter of fact, we haven't even, even talked about capital expenditure yet, which is actually on the balance sheet, but can take a big whack out of your cash flow, you know? And to George's point is that, what is your net profit after tax? I like that, because that is what you will get dividends from. And if your net profit after tax is zero, and you don't pay yourself a good salary, then you work all year for nothing. Um, and it's quite interesting because I actually work with a couple of companies that I'm actually trying to turn around who have been in just that situation. Even the costing model has been wrong. The price that charged the customer is just so wrong. They were even bidding for contracts that made them no money. I goes, don't do it. But I still felt like if they had to do it, why? It just don't make no sense. So thanks, man. That's really great tips. So one of my next questions that I have to ask you this, and I mean, I just, I mean, you you described it beautifully over the over the last hour or so. I just get your view on this. What does a wealth mindset means to you, or an abundance mindset, or if you want to call it a go-getter mindset, or a, 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 a rich mindset versus a poor mindset? What does it mean to you to like to think big? Well, there's 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 a, there's a double pronged answer to that question. So the first the first thing is, I mean, an, an, an abundance mindset, right? Is this sounds crazy, but it's true. If you give £10 to charity every month, £10, £5, whatever, £3, the act of giving something to someone else is creates abundance. And I'll tell you why. Because what you're saying is you're saying, I don't need that money. That's what you're saying. You're saying, I, I am abundant enough to be able to give this money to someone else because I don't personally need it. Now, even if you can't afford it, even if it's going to mean you're, you're, you know, you're missing I don't know, 10 cans of baked beans on your food shopping every week because you're having to give the, the money to charity, right? It does something to your brain and also to the air, to the air, which creates the, the illusion or at least the, the feel of abundance. That's one thing I'll say. Secondly, here is the problem with the world we live in. And it's a seriously big problem. We live in a world where we get blanket marketed to become essentially consumers. Now, that affects the world in different ways. Number one is mass abundance of, 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 of products like uh, I don't know, plastic creates waste, which creates global warming. We're killing ourselves. We're, we are killing ourselves. So even if you don't make this next change because you care about the money, do it to save your, your grandchildren's life. Now, moving on to the financial side of things. Here's the world we live in. I earn X, let's say, I don't know, let's earn £2,000 a month of tax on, on, as a salary, right? I earn X. Now, that money is so that I can go and spend it on things I don't need. Wrong. It's not true. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll earn more money. I'll, I'll ask for a pay rise to keep up with my even higher requirements of living. So this is just wrong. And I'll tell you why, right? If I earn £2,000 a month, if I did... Here's what I would do. I wouldn't go to Vegas. I wouldn't go to a five-star holiday. I wouldn't go to three holidays a year. I would probably go on a camping trip in Devon, the lowest one I can I could price for, one I can find for five days because it's going to be cheaper for me to still have a holiday experience and come home with more money. I'm not going to go and buy an expensive car. I'm not going to take a loan out to get an expensive car. I'm going to go and buy a really cheap second-hand car that might last me a year, and I'll go and buy another one, right? I'm not going to go and buy the most expensive uh, brand of everything in the supermarket because I feel as though the world owes me this, this, lu this luxurious lifestyle. And then, I, then with the money that's left, I'm going to invest it off the bat straight away. Now, here's why you should do that, right? <clears throat> this, is, this is abundance. This is a financial mindset, right? Here's why you should do that. <laughs> My... There's someone in my family, I won't mention their name, who earns three times the amount of money that I do, and their debt is four times the amount that mine is. Now, let me tell you, they're always moaning about being poor all the time, but they're going 
to music festivals. They're going to holidays. They're going to this. They're going to that. They're going to weddings. They're buying nice dresses. They're doing this dinner. And is it any wonder why their debt is so high, right? Then there's people that earn £18,000 a year that have bought their house. Why? Why is that? But then people blame it on the, the cost of housing. And don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's an element of it. That is an element of it. Like, you know, you can't get away from the fact that housing, getting a mortgage is expensive. But here's what we should be doing. We should be spending the least amount of money we can possibly spend for a five to 10 year period and investing the, the most amount of money we can invest. And because then when you start getting the payback from your financial decisions that we're making, you then get, get something called passive income. Passive income is the thing that can pay for your expensive car. And you don't need to feel guilty about it anymore because you can afford to pay it out. Man, That's what man, George, man, I got to keep in contact with you because um, for some reason, whether it's my um, my mastermind I'm going to be launching or something, I think like you're a great guy because we know from listening to you, right? You said so much on this podcast, but but what you just said in the end is like a lesson. It's like a life lesson in, in itself. You know, I've seen people who have lived in London for years and they haven't bought a property and they said that they blame it even close friends, and then they blame it on the property price. Of course, the price is high. Okay, yes, I bought my property, you know, within a few years. And of course, um, I got like, uh, I bought it at 100% funded, but it's only because I researched it because I wanted to buy a property. You know, there are deals out there for you. And I think what people do is that they spend their money um, buying things that don't give them long-term benefit. And of course, myself, I've blown probably over a hundred grand going on holidays and stuff, but I've got great memories. I still got properties. I mean, I own a lot of money, but remember I came from poverty anyway, you know? So, so like you said, you got to first invest. And I think the greatest investment that you can make is in yourself. And this is what I did personally. I like what you said earlier. And it also reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday. Giving is so important, man. It's so important to give. It's like right now, you won't believe I give so much of my time away. I work for an NGO. And I don't get paid. I give my time away, you know. And, and, and what I've seen happening is that the universe is just opening up opportunities for me. Literally. I think the abundance that someone can get is from giving from the little that you have. But give it to the right channels, the right cause. You know, it's almost like sowing a seed, but sow it on fertile soil. You know, don't just give your time and give your money to anyone, as you said just now, give to another charity a month. Choose the charity with a good cause. That's gonna blow up for you, man. So, and I like how you describe, you know, having an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset is not, way you describe it, is not just having an abundance of riches, but understanding that that wealth is managing your emotions. Really, it, it definitely is. And, and the thing, the thing is, is that. Um, <clears throat> I'll go back to what I was saying. People want a pay rise so they can keep up with, the, with their increasing luxurious demands. Do you hear what I'm saying? They want a pay rise so they can keep up with their increasing luxurious demands. And the thing is, right, here's how I feel about it. The world doesn't owe you anything. You're not, there's no such thing as ownership. There's no such thing as entitlement. The world doesn't owe you anything. Uh, the concept of ownership, the concept of, of, of um, consumerism, I think it's just wacky. I think it's crazy. Um, and it's, you'd be surprised on what you can live on if you want to. I mean, you really you, you really would be because there are people that earn less money that are wealthier than you because they know how to, you know, 
put strict confines into their spending and manage it and invest it in the right ways and all this kind of thing. So it's a choice thing. And I think ultimately it comes back to what we said earlier on about, about decisions and, and thought processes. It's yeah. like, how much do you want it? And, and, and it always comes back to that really at the end of the day. It comes back to how much pain are you willing to tolerate before you finally say, I've had enough. Of course, of course, man. Uh, man. Look, I, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be really great. I wouldn't keep your time so much. Where can people find you? And I, I know we talk about, like, you know, um, Grand Mercy and Grand Mercy TV, GrandMercy.com. Uh, you on LinkedIn? You on um, Grand Mercy TV? Is on is on YouTube? But where can people find you, George Taylor? If someone just wanted to just, you know, get some mentorship, I don't know. I mean, I know that you wouldn't coach them anyway, but I believe mentorship is better than coach because mentors are people who've done it themselves before. Someone really just wanted to just, you know. I don't know, you know, get some time with you and just learn from you. Where can they find you? Um, the only place they can really find me is through my LinkedIn account because I don't, uh, I don't use, I don't have any business Instagram or Twitter accounts. So yeah, yeah. If if people just go into the search bar and they type George Taylor Gramercy and they just search for it, my name will pop up. You'll see of me course, in there. Of course, yeah. Anyone's welcome to, you know, send me a connection request, send me an email, and you know, hopefully I can help in some way. Yeah, and the great thing about LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn, by the way. I think I've always loved LinkedIn. I mean, I met you through LinkedIn. I think, you know, you asked me this question, how did you find me? How did you find me? I love LinkedIn uh, because when you when someone's searching Google for anybody, name, LinkedIn is most likely the first or the second that comes up. And that's one of the benefits of having a good LinkedIn profile, a good LinkedIn presence, um, because LinkedIn ranks on SEO quite high. You know what I mean? So search George Taylor. Uh, you'll find him there. But George, I want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to put this out um, next week. If you can send me, you know, a couple of paragraphs, a couple of, of your bio, of your very exciting bio, you know, just make it obviously short. Um, so I, I can put with the um, show notes. Um, and obviously I put this out. And to your question, it will go on Twitter. It will go on Instagram and it will go uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook so people can hear your story, man. Your story is good. I want to wish you massive success as well with uh, Gramercy. Um, you know, you've had, so, you, you've had a very kind of rocky journey. It's something to me like you're pre-revenue now, am I correct? Pre-revenue? That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. Yeah. yeah so how does the business, so in pre-revenue, just before we wrap up, how does a business in pre-revenue pays you? It doesn't. It doesn't pay you. You, yeah. you, you bootstrap it or you fund it okay it. yeah i understand yeah i mean i knew the answer to that anyway but i, I just sort of I let you hear it from um the founder's mouth he's bootstrapping his current business basically he he has a vision for his current business um so what is the? i think you've already said what is the vision for grand mercy already anyway um it's, it's a big vision i think you are you are, you, are, you also said the mission i mean you shared so much today if there's any way i can help you in your business anywhere at all tap on my um um my doors i'm only linkedin away you know what i mean just message me and um and we'll be in touch no doubt so Thanks a lot for coming on again. Have a great day. I'll speak to you soon. Royston, just want to say it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. You're Obviously, I'm a journalist. I'm telling you, you're a great interviewer. You really are. Fantastic. Thank you for letting me come on today. And um, I hope everyone's enjoyed this. And keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find out more about me by Googling my name, Royston Cumberbatch. I'm on all the social media Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find me on YouTube as Roy Cumberbatch. And if you are listening on YouTube, please hit that 
uh, subscribe button or you can find me on my website at www.racmac.com. That's R-A-C-M-A-C-S dot com. It'd be great to hear from you and do feel free to tell me about any topics you want me to cover on future episodes. Until next time, be good to yourself and others, keep positive and reaching for your financial goals. Bye-bye.